If you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to open up to the book of Matthew, chapter 1, and chapter, no, just chapter 1. <laughs> Who am I kidding? We're not going to get to chapter 2. <clears throat> I trust that uh, Brother Andy Osborne did a wonderful job last week uh, as he faithfully, uh, faithfully proclaimed the Word of God, rightly dividing uh, the Word of Truth. It's been a joy. Uh, to know Brother Randy for uh, several uh, several years. Uh, in fact, uh, he and I talk often. Uh, whenever my family first visited Woodlawn Baptist Church many, many years ago, uh, Randy Osborne uh, was the first to come and visit our family from the church uh, and share the gospel uh, with my family, share the gospel with my parents, uh, uh, which would later end up being uh, the gospel message that uh, transformed lives, that saves for all of eternity. And so I'm forever uh, indebted to him for his faithful service to the king, uh, for his faithful service to the local church. And so it was, uh, it was such, a, uh, such a joy to know that, that as I was away, that the word of God was going to be faithfully preached. And so uh, we're indeed uh, grateful for him uh, if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 1, and then we're going to skip to verse 18. The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as followed. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. And when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated mean God with us. And Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took her as his wife. And he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, as we see your word, we understand that the birth of Jesus, God the Son's entrance into this world, was so much more than a Christmas story. So much more than shepherds and wise men and angels. That it's the Messiah, the anointed one of God, to fulfill the everlasting covenant from before the foundations of the earth. God, may you speak to us this morning about the deity of Jesus. May you remind us of our great need for a Savior. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray, amen. 
Well, as we talk about the book of Matthew, it's important for us to understand that the book of Matthew was written by whom? Matthew. And it was written to whom? The Jews. And it was written, the theme of Matthew is to present Jesus as son of David, the Messiah. And so, so we understand the, the, the general background. It was written by Matthew. It was written to the Jews, to the Israelites, to present Jesus as the promised son of David, the promised Messiah. Now, let's go back and let's look at verse 1 because uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago about how Jesus is presented. And we, we looked at the, uh, in detail at the genealogy. But I want us to, to, to look at verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And it's important for us to understand that this is how Jesus was introduced to the Israelites. And he was introduced not as the Savior of the world. He was not introduced even as the Savior of the Jews. He was not introduced as as the, the New Testament's counterpart to Joshua. He was not introduced as this coming Savior. But who is he introduced as? He is introduced for his, for his identity, he is introduced for who he is, not introduced for what he has done or what he will do. And this is important for us to understand. Why is it important for us to understand? Matthew chapter 13. Flip over there with me, if you will. Matthew chapter 13. We have to understand, in this culture, in this culture of, of Judaism, in this culture of the ancient world, who you were was much more important than what you did or what you would accomplish. In our world today, who you are is minimized and what you do, what you accomplish, is what is emphasized. After all, we don't care about pedigree, we care about productivity. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter who your dad was, who your grandfather was, who your great-grandfather was. If, if you are good at your job, if you are good at your profession, then you will succeed. That was not the case in the ancient world. In the ancient world, you were not given the opportunity to succeed. You were not given the opportunity to produce. You were not given the opportunity to be productive in your world if you were not of stature, if you were not of a pedigree. It mattered who your dad was. It mattered who your great-grandfather was. It mattered who your great-great-grandfather was. In fact, if you look back through the Old Testament, you look back through Israel's history, anytime anyone of significance was introduced, they were always introduced as a pedigree. Abraham of the Chaldeans. Where did he come from? Who is Jacob? Jacob is the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. The, the, the people of God, all throughout the, who is Joshua? Joshua, the son of Nun, not N-O-N-E, but N-U-N. Joshua, the son of Nun. We, we, we get a pedigree. Anytime we are introduced to anyone in Scripture, we are told who they are because who they are is important, and it is important for us to understand that they would not have the opportunity to accomplish their purpose or fulfill their purpose unless we understand their pedigree. And we're introduced to Jesus for who he is before we're introduced to what he will, to what he will, do, will do. It's, it's interesting to note that there are 46 generations, three sets of 14, telling us who this man is, telling us that this man is important. Not what he has done or what he will do, but who he is. The Jewish reader would only, would only care 
about what he will do if they understand who he is. Matthew chapter 13, verse 53. And it came about when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed from there. And coming into his hometown, he began teaching them in their synagogue. So that they became astonished and said, where did this man get wisdom and these miraculous powers? So he teaches in the synagogue. And they acknowledge that there is wisdom. They acknowledge that there is something supernatural about this man, Jesus. Yet, look at the following verses. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. They didn't give any credibility to anything that he said, even though they acknowledged that what he said was, was, was supernatural and was astonishing and was, was mind-blowing, yet they discredited any, anything and everything he said because they knew he was just a common carpenter. There was nothing extraordinary about Jesus. That's why Matthew takes specific pains at the very beginning of his book to, to identify Jesus not as a humble carpenter, but as someone of royal genealogy. And notice, notice the, 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 go back to verse one. Notice how he introduces them. Jesus, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Those are two very specific identities. One, Abraham is the father of Israel. It's the father of the nation. It's the father of the race. And so as he introduces Jesus, he says, Jesus, the son of David. David is the, 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 the lineage of royalty. So he introduces him as David, as the son of David, the son of royalty, and the son of Abraham, the son of the race, the son of the nation, the son of the ethnicity. He introduces him as someone of great importance before he tells you anything that he's ever done. Why? Because in that culture, who you are was much more important than what you would do. Who you are gave credibility to what you would do. Now, we understand how and why Jesus was introduced in the manner in which, his, in the manner in which he was. I want to point out something that's very interesting about the book of Matthew. It introduces Jesus, and it focuses very intently on the virgin birth. If you notice, there are two references to Jesus's, to Mary's virgin conception and Jesus's virgin birth in verses 18 to verse 25. Look at, uh, look at verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Let me explain to you just, just very briefly the 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 process of marriage in the ancient world there were three steps of of marriage in the ancient world uh the first is what we call the engagement uh but it wasn't really an engagement it was more like a a unofficial agreement the families of mary and the family of joseph would have gotten together and say hey wouldn't it be great if whenever our children uh grew up that they became married and they said yeah that would that would be beneficial for both your family and my family and so there's this this unofficial agreement that when the children become of age that they will get married now this is the closest thing that that we have to an arranged marriage uh not that it was binding because it was not at the time of at the time of 
uh, maturity. Uh, usually whenever the young women were about 13, 14 years old, uh, they would uh, become betrothed. And this is when the legal arrangement would happen. This is whenever the dowry would, would begin to be paid. This is whenever uh, a legal ramifications would, uh, would bind their union together. And then the third process would be the marriage, which would follow by a week-long celebration, usually at uh, the bride's house, after which the, the husband and wife would begin living together as husband and wife. During that engagement process, there's nothing legal, nothing binding. During the betrothal process, there is a legal binding agreement between the two families that were there to be a separation, it would have to be a legal separation. There were civil uh, civil responsibilities, there would be the repayment of the dowry, uh, there would be other legal ramifications that were involved, but there was nothing uh, that, that we would consider binding as far as a marriage that had taken place. And that's where Mary and Joseph were at this point. They were in the betrothal period, which tells us one of two things. It was a legal arrangement, but it also tells us that they had not been together as husband and wife, that Mary was indeed a virgin. And that is very, very important. Go with me to Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Why is it so important? Jesus must be offspring of a virgin's womb. The virgin birth is an aspect of, of the theology of salvation that is so often glossed over. It's so often, uh, the, the, it, it's just... We say, oh yeah, and, and Mary was a virgin whenever Jesus was born. That is huge. That is, it is so unbelievably important for this reason. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Now, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, singular. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. Christ. Abraham was promised a son. Abraham thought that son was Isaac. David was promised a son. David thought that son of promise was Solomon. The reality is, is that Galatians chapter 3 tells us, Paul reminds the Galatian churches, he says, the seed that was promised to Abraham wasn't Isaac, it wasn't Jacob, it wasn't Judah. The son, the seed that was promised to Abraham was Jesus. The seed that was promised to David, the son that was promised to David that would sit on the throne for all of eternity was not Solomon. It was not the sons of Solomon. It was Jesus. Jesus was always the seed that was promised. Jesus was always plan A. Jesus was always God's initial plan. Whenever he made the promise of Abraham and said, from you, from, from you and from your nation and from your line, all the nations will be blessed. He wasn't thinking Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, the nation of Israel. He was thinking Jesus. Whenever David was promised that there will be an heir from your line that will sit on the throne of Israel for all of eternity, he wasn't thinking Solomon. He was thinking Jesus. Jesus was always God's plan. Now, why is, so, why is it so important that, that Jesus be born of a virgin? Well, let's go back to 
Matthew chapter 1, and let's see if we can unpack that for just a little bit. It tells us why Jesus came. Verse 21, And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Why is it important that Jesus must be born of a virgin? Because Jesus' purpose for coming was to die in order that he may save his people from their sin. Now here's the caveat. There's one prerequisite in order for Jesus to fulfill his purpose. In order for him to die, that he may save his people from their sin, he must first be what? You missed it. In order for him to die, what does he first have to be? He has to be alive. Right? You can't die unless you're alive, right? Well, there's a problem with every man from Adam until Jesus. Every man. We're not alive. Notice the language of the scripture. Go go with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses. You were dead in your trespasses. But I'm not dead. I eat, I drink, I breathe. I go to Disney World. I go swimming. I I go to the ball games. I interact with my, my, my family. I am very much alive. Galatians chapter, I'm sorry, uh, Genesis chapter 2. Jesus made a, a proclamation when he created the world. He created the world, he set Adam and Eve in the world, and he gave them two rules. Actually, he gave them one rule. He said, don't eat from that tree. If you, the moment you eat from that tree, what does Genesis chapter 2 tell us? You will surely die. And so many of us think that, that, that will, and in fact the lie that the enemy showed up and fed to, his, to Adam and Eve was that God was just joking. The moment you eat from this tree, you're not really going to die. I mean, you know, that, that's, that's just a euphemism. That's just, you know, God's just, you know, he's just being melodramatic. He's using hyperbole. You won't surely die. And they ate from that tree. And did they die? Yes and no. They didn't die physically, but they absolutely died spiritually. Absolutely. And from that point on, everybody that has come into this world has come into this world spiritually dead. From Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, all of the godly men, Moses, Joshua, all of the men have been born spiritually dead because they are of the seed of Adam. Well, the only way that that Jesus could fulfill his purpose is if he came into this world spiritually alive. He cannot be of the seed of man because of the seed of man, he would be born spiritually dead. Notice notice, uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Notice the the, the language of Romans chapter 6. For the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is that it is a it is a present tense. It's not future. The wages of sin will be death. The wages of sin is death. See, the sentence of God, the sentence of God 
is that the moment Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that Adam and Eve experienced spiritual death. God doesn't make idle threats. He's not like mom and dad. If you get out of your bed one more time, you're going to get a spanking. I I promise you the next time you get out of your bed, you're getting a spanking. If you get out of your bed one more time, not only are you getting a spanking, but you can't go anywhere tomorrow. And I'm taking away your iPads. And I'm taking away the TV. If I see you out of your bed one more, we make idle threats all the time. God doesn't make idle threats. When God said, the moment you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. That's exactly what took place. Adam and every subsequent human from that point forward was born spiritually dead until Jesus. Because Jesus was not born of Adam. He was of the Holy Spirit, born of God. Notice, notice all throughout the New Testament, our sentence to die is not for our sin, but our sentence to die is that we are to die in our sin. Notice the difference? We are in sin, spiritually dead, and that is our sentence that we are to die in our sin, completely dead, completely unaware to the things of God. Only two men had the ability to die for sin. Adam and Jesus. Because only two men have ever been born, have ever been spiritually alive in the face of the, in, in, on the face of the human earth. Only two men have ever been spiritually alive. Adam and Jesus. Adam was created with the, with God made him out of a lump of clay, and then God breathed life into him, and he was spiritually alive. But then Adam sinned, and from that point on, experienced death, spiritual death. Jesus was born, not of the seed of Adam, but of God, and therefore was spiritually alive, and was able to fulfill his purpose to share, to take upon himself the consequence of sin. To take away the virgin birth is to take away Jesus' ability to die as a substitute for our sin. It's not just some quaint story. It's not just some some cute little little aspect about about the Christmas story that, that, that makes it intriguing. No, it is at the very heart of the theology of salvation. If we don't understand that Jesus is born as a virgin, that Jesus is born of a virgin, that he is born free from the, from the nature of sin, that he is born spiritually alive, then we take away his ability to die for our sin. So we must understand that the deity of Jesus and his, his virgin birth is instrumental in our understanding of who Jesus is. also want to point out a couple of other things look at matthew chapter one matthew chapter one there's a couple of names given to jesus it's interesting whenever we name our children we get baby books and we flip through names and your wife says let's name him this and you say oh no we can't name him that i had a kid in my third grade class and 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 he was you know he he was he was the bad kid 
and, and we, we can't have, oh, well, and she says, well, what about this name? Oh, no, we can't name him that. I had a girlfriend whenever I was, uh, whenever I was in, the, in the sixth grade, and she broke my heart, so we cannot name our little girl that. And we, this, is, this is how, if, if, if you're like me at least, this is how uh, naming your, your child goes. And then you come up with a name, and you're both so excited about it. And so you call mom and mother-in-law, and you tell them, this is what we're going to name our son. She goes, oh, you can't name him that. <laughs> and then, well, well, why not? Because your dad has a brother, and his, he is just crazy, and that's his name. Nobody calls him that, but that's his name, and you cannot name him that. Isn't it interesting? If you look at verse 21 and verse 23, the angel tells them what they're going to name their son. Wouldn't that be a whole lot easier? Verse 21, and she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. And Jesus spoke about the purpose of God, what he would do. He would die as a substitute to save his people from their sin. But notice verse 23, Jesus gets a different name. The prophet Isaiah said, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. He's given two names. Emmanuel tells us who he is. He is God in the flesh. And who he is qualifies him to do what he was called to do, Jesus, to save us from our sins. The name Jesus is the Greek transliteration of the name Joshua, which means the Lord is salvation. And so here is the naming of Jesus. His name is God with us. That's who he is. Why? So that he will save his people from their sins, Jesus. Who he is qualifies him to do what he has been called to do. He is Emmanuel, so that he will save us from our sins. It's interesting. Were Jesus not who he was, he could not do what God had called him to do. One of my most hated most despised things to do on the face of the planet is to talk to customer service people regardless of what what it's about first of all you get on the phone and you spend 10 minutes you spend 10 minutes listening to recordings pressing buttons saying no yes and 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 i'm sorry we did not understand you and you have to repeat yourself and then you finally get you you finally get on the phone with a human being and they have to transfer you and put you on hold and and it is it is it is one of the most frustrating things i'm i'm convinced that when we get to hell that's what it's going to be that 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 you're just going to be on hold with with customer service for for the rest of eternity and and that is going to be the 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 extent of of torment and torture well uh around christmas time our our bank account got got breached the security got breached and and uh we had to we had to close our account we had to reopen new accounts and we had to 
uh, uh, all of the automatic drafts for the mortgage and the insurance and all that kind of stuff had to be redone, and, and it, was, it was a big nightmare. Well, I called uh, Chase, who is our mortgage, who holds our mortgage, and I said, look, you know, payment's not going to go through. You know, I told him the whole story. And so after spending, after spending you know, 30 minutes on, on the phone uh, with, with machines and finally talking to a person, they finally understood, okay, you're, you're not, not paying us that there's a problem with your account. And I said, so can I go ahead and pay you now on the phone? She said, no, if you pay us now, it's going to mess up the whole system. So why don't you wait a week or two, call us back after the payment's been rejected, and, 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 and we'll, we'll, we'll fix this whole thing. Well, I'll call back a couple weeks later, and they say, sir, you've got all these late, these late penalties and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, hold on. I just spoke to someone, and they said, don't pay your bill. And, 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 and they said, well, yo, I don't know why they told you that. You should have went ahead and made a payment. And, and the, the, the moral of the story is, the moral of the story is, is that, that the person I was talking to wasn't the person I needed to be talking to. The person I was talking to had no authority to tell me anything. The person that I was talking to had no authority to do what I needed to be done. They, they... It was, a, it was a, a customer service representative who was trying to do her job and was just unqualified to do what I needed to do. It, the, 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 the buttons that needed to be pressed was above her pay grade. I took, I took answers from someone who didn't have the authority to give me answers. The bottom line is, is that there is only one person in the history of the planet who has the authority to pay for your sin. And it's not you. And it's not me. And it's not this church. And it's not a religion. And it's not a denomination. There is no one who has the authority over sin and death but Jesus. Why? Because of who he is because he is God the son he is from eternity past to eternity future he is the everlasting God come down in the flesh he is of the seed of Abraham and of the seed of David he is God's promised Messiah he is the anointed one he is not merely a carpenter he is not merely a babe wrapped in swaddling cloth but he is God with us and because he is God with us he has the authority to pay for our sin because he is born spiritually alive of a virgin of God he has the authority to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God first second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 God made him who knew no sin the only way he can know no sin is if he was of God not of man God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. And there are many people that have a difficulty with the reality that Jesus died spiritually. But if Jesus did not die spiritually, we could not live spiritually. I believe that whenever Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was anticipating the cross... And he was praying and so grief-stricken that his sweat became his drops of blood, Luke tells us. 
And he was praying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I believe it was this spiritual separation, this spiritual death, death that Jesus was anticipating. He said, Father, if it's possible, I don't want to experience that spiritual death. Because from eternity past to the present, Jesus had never once experienced separation from the Heavenly Father. Yet when He was on the cross, He cried out, Lama Lama Shabachthani, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? Because for the first time in eternity, Jesus was separated from the Father. Experienced spiritual death. So that he could pay the penalty for our sin. The sad reality is that in our human condition, we seek after this world to give us life, we seek after this world. To give us satisfaction. We seek after this world to give us fulfillment. We seek after this world to fulfill all of those desires that God intends to fulfill. Proverbs chapter 14 says, There's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is death. There's no relationship. There's no job. There's no amount of money. There is no amount of physical pleasure. There is no substance. There is nothing that this world has to offer that will fulfill what only God can offer. Because of who Jesus is, only Jesus can bring new life. Only Jesus can satisfy. This morning, if you're here, and you have sought everything that this world has to offer, and you've been left empty, let me invite you to come to Jesus. Because only Jesus gives life. This world may promise life. This world may promise all sorts of things. But only Jesus is able to give life. Because only Jesus is God with us. Let's pray. God, we do thank you. That in Jesus. We have the promise. Of eternal life. Because he is the only one able to give us life. Lord, we thank you that in your great sovereignty, before the foundation of the earth, that you saw fit to send forth your Son to be the payment for our sin. God, we realize that apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, that we stand before God condemned because we are in sin. But thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, that the penalty of sin has been satisfied. If you're here this morning and you've never experienced new life, you've never been born again in Jesus, I want to invite you to come to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus and only in Jesus for your eternal life. The message of the gospel is very clear.
that we're all sinners and fallen short of the glory of God. But God demonstrates His great love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And this morning, if that's you, I want to invite you to come. Or maybe you're here this morning and God is calling you to be a part of what He's doing right here at Redeemer. Lifting up Jesus, living in obedience, loving the world. If that's you, let me invite you to come. Just a few moments, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. During this time, may you do business with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.